0: Here's a little fun fact. Did you know that for over five years, I taught thousands of people at hundreds of different events, both in person and online, how to grow their businesses? And I did this for Google. And now I want to do it for you. I'm offering up some special complimentary coaching opportunities for a few lucky wise squirrels. Visit wisequirrels.com coaching. Welcome to Why Squirrels, a podcast for late diagnosed adults with ADHD. I'm your host, Dave Delaney. So I just want to make sure I don't mispronounce your name, but it's it's Aviva Nuremberg.
1: Correct. Perfect.
0: Okay. It's Is it's, this
1: your personal logo or is this like a business? Like where do you use it?
0: Oh, you're, you're talking about the smiley face?
1: The DD. Yeah. The smileys. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I use it on my uh, personal website, which I'm making some... I'm doing some work on right now, but, um, and then I use it in my presentations. I do a lot of public speaking, so I use it in my, in my presentations a lot and on social media too.
1: making me smile.
0: (laughs) Yay! That's what I like to hear. (laughs) Thank you. First of all, for agreeing to join me. Uh, I've been really excited to talk to you about, you know, your work as an ADHD coach, um, and, Let's, let's talk about, first of all, how your past, I know, I think your, your husband and kids might've helped lead you to where you are today. So let's go ahead and, and get started talking about how you got into ADHD coaching.
1: Yeah. So, um, you're correct in that it's through my husband and my kids that I embarked on this journey. I, um, I think, you know, when my kids were younger, my knowledge of ADHD was pretty limited and typical thinking that it's just boys hyperactive boys and when my one of my boys I have two boys and a girl was I don't know I'd say like a preteen maybe 10 or 11 one of his teachers said something they thought he had ADHD and I thought to myself he can't have ADHD he could sit for five hours and do a puzzle yeah. and um, other things you know the things that he enjoyed right mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he could sit for hours so I'd totally discounted that and many more years went by before my daughter who was is my youngest child was um diagnosed at the age of 13 and um on that journey to be the best mom i discovered coaching but i didn't really even understand what coaching was when i started my adca class i really just wanted tools to help my kids and i only through learning more about coaching and actually coaching that I really understand what coaching was and the power of coaching in general and specifically ADHD coaching to help people with ADHD. Um, And my husband was like the last of the whole group to get diagnosed. (laughs) And that was also like very, like put so many things into perspective that we had struggled with for so many years. And it was just very enlightening, the whole process and learning how differently adhd shows up in different people as well you know each of my kids my husband and and clients as well now everyone's adhd is so different there may be some commonalities but every no one shows up exactly the same way
0: yeah that's a common thing i've heard like obviously we have the uh the handy acronym adhd uh (laughs) uh, and and so that stands for stuff but um tell me a little bit about the the differences or maybe some of the commonalities that you've you've noticed between uh, between different people, like different clients, for example.
1: So I think an almost universal struggle is getting motivated on the stuff that's not fun, that's not your area of interest. Mm. I think that is one thing that links, I would say, pretty much everyone that has that has ADHD. And as far as the other challenges, you know, like the organization or time management, i I've had clients that um, had this one girl who was very good at time management, very good at managing her time, very good at judging time, how long things would take. And it's very interesting. And you talk about like that nature versus nurture. She was um, from a military family and she grew up in a very structured environment where that was just like her bread and water. And um, on the other hand, you know, you have people that time management is, is their, the bane of their existence. Um, And organization too. Like I found people that know kind of intuitively that, they think better, feel better, are less stressed when their environment is organized. So they kind of like intuitively knew that about themselves. And even though it didn't come easy for them, they, you know, learned to whether it's like through being minimalist with their stuff, but having systems to keep themselves organized. And you know, we know other people, organization <laughs> of their stuff, their their spaces, you know, torture. Um so I, I think that's those are a couple examples, you know, that um, what could be for one client uh, a real struggle for another is, you know, comes naturally, or they've learned those systems, um, you know, from their environment, from family, whatever it is, in, at some point to to keep themselves going.
0: What are some ways that you have seen, or, or maybe not ways, but systems that? People have used to improve, you know, improve outcomes. You know, whether it's their career or family life.
1: Hmm. I mean, that's a really broad, broad question, Dave. Hmm. So,
0: well, let's let's ma- perhaps let's start with like technology. Like, is there are there are there apps that you find or or software that you find that 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 people use to help you know, stay organized ultimately.
1: Yeah. So I, I think that's also very individual. You know, mm. what one, some people, you know, with all the technology still like the paper and pen planner and the whiteboard and like the, the paper calendar on their wall. And I think there is, and for sure, there are also people that love the technology, but I, I think there is like a power to, um. I know like we know a lot about the brain and actually writing and how actually writing something has much more of, I don't know, sort of imprint on our brain, especially with working memory deficits. Um, Also, we know the people with ADHD are very visual. And as cool as certain technology could be, you still have to pick. remember to pick up your phone, open the app, whether it's a a to-do app, like a to-do list app, or whether it's a productivity app, or whether it's a habit app, there are a lot of cool apps out there. There really are. And for people that Technology is their thing. There's a there's a lot to explore and a lot of great things for ADHD. But I think we can't forget that like paper, pencil, you know, whiteboards, because we know that we see what we do. You know, that's that's the that's the like the for better, for worse, right? You know, like whatever is in front of you. And if you see that whiteboard right in front of you, whereas Um, with, you know, your top priorities for the day, whereas in your, on your phone, you have to remember to open up your phone, look into the app or look on your calendar, what your, your meetings, your, your, um, your priorities are for that day. Um, It takes a few more steps. So um, not to say that people aren't successful with the apps and technology, but you have to be, you know, it requires an extra level of an engagement, you know, to, to think, to use it, to open it and to be, use it regularly.
0: Yeah, and not just making lists, uh, like by pen, but also scratching items off the list when you accomplish them. There's something that tactile interaction I find has is extremely satisfying. It's it more yeah. so than clicking a box and watching it like you know, get a strike through on online instead like yeah, yeah, scratching right. it with a pen right. and being ha, ah, I did it. Yeah.
1: It's funny because you're saying that, Dave, because for years I would have my to-do list and sometimes I would end up doing something, um, an errand I forgot or whatever it was. And then I would put it on my list. And cross it off, and I thought I was like crazy, like why am I doing this? And I only (laughs) later learned in one of my courses or trainings that that actually gives you that dopamine hit. You know, having writing it on, writing it, and you know whether you cross it off or check it off, however you do it, um, gives you that dopamine. So yeah, and and ADHD brains are starved for dopamine. So if you can get that dopamine, you know, and it gives you more motivation to do that next priority item
0: yeah that's interesting yeah for me personally like as as it applies to time management um that's my my number one i did a uh uh, uh an executive functions kind of survey to mm-hmm. to see sort of where my strengths and weaknesses are and and my three strengths the strongest skills are in time management flexibility and and then goal directed persistence slash stress tolerance it was, it was a tie for the third place yeah um, yeah. But time management is a big one. Yeah, I'm super anal with my time. Uh and and so like for example, I mean, we're talking today because we, this meeting was on my calendar. If it wasn't on my calendar, I wouldn't I wouldn't be here. I like there like everything is on my calendar. And it took a yeah. while. And this is something um I obsessed about way before being diagnosed uh you know, at 50 with ADHD. So I didn't know I had ADHD, but I needed I knew that I needed everything on a calendar, and so my wife, is, you know, is amazing, um, and she she writes it all down and, and has a calendar on the fridge to keep us, you know, in check and the kids aware. But for me personally, I, I needed like a digital calendar that integrated okay. into my calendar. So I created like a separate Google calendar in addition to my business one for family stuff and and that and now god bless her she adds things there so that it appears on mine so i can actually like overlay those two calendars digitally and and look and see and say okay yeah, we can't talk today because we have a doctor's appointment or whatever
1: yeah yeah you just said a lot i just i don't know what point to even bring up first but i want to say that <laughs> you know one of the um where technology can really help us where you it's much harder to on paper is that idea of sharing, you know, sharing a calendar sharing a grocery list or whatever it is that it's much harder to, you know, someone else to, to copy your list or to share, you know, tasks that way. The other thing you were saying a little bit earlier was um, you made a really good point in talking about your strengths in executive function because no one, which I mean ADHD showing up differently for each person, is that no one is weak in all the executive functions. Even someone, you know, with the if there were a scale of ADHD, how strongly it impacts you on a a really strong case of ADHD is not going to be weak on all the executive functions. And to know what your strengths are, not just in executive function, but know what your strengths are in general and really lean into your strengths. Because we know we, that creating a life or even just coaching on your weaknesses is not very empowering. You know, we when we feel our best and we are our best, we're, we're living a life of our strengths. We need to deal with our weaknesses. I'm not, you know, pushing them to the background or avoiding them, but leaning into those strengths.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One of my, my weakest, my weakest, uh, uh, skill is planning and prioritizing. So it's, it's, and, and, and that often, yeah, that often kind of I'll, I'll, I'll focus on, and uh, you know, yourself, right. With ADHD folks, mm-hmm. when, when we embark in something creative, something we enjoy doing like a podcast, let's say, uh, <laughs> then, then we end up spending so much time doing that fun stuff. Um, but not like the stuff not prioritizing the things that need to be prioritized, like financial, you know, s- stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of the cool things I learned is that on one hand, yeah, you're right. Like you can forget the important stuff that's not so interesting um at when you're doing that, that fun stuff. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I think we're like the in the in the neurotypical world, people want to get done the hard stuff first. But for ADHD, if you can use those um those fun things that create that dopamine for you strategically, they can give you the dopamine to also tackle the the harder things, the less, you know, exciting things, the monotonous things.
0: Do you mean like by doing those monotonous things as like rewards after that dopamine hit? Like, yeah, done, I mean you could use it thing. as
1: you, yeah. I mean, yeah, so you could say it, that you're doing the that reward, you get your reward first instead of afterwards. The the, the challenge is, you know, because it's the idea of fun first instead of like the fun as the treat afterwards. Yeah. But the challenge is, you know, being able to that, that time management piece, being able to have that boundary, like a, having an activity that has a set ending or, you know, having some other way to draw that boundary that you don't get lost in that fun activity and you know, then forget about the the thing that you need to do as well. Yeah, that's
0: that That's a that's an interesting thing. Like, it's a good it's a great idea to to maybe, yeah, to start with the uh, reward. You know that that dopamine, uh, that thing that triggers the dopamine. Assuming it's it's a, a healthy thing to do. Um, but I, yeah, I like I like that a lot. Actually, I think that's a that's a great idea. Um. I know you lived overseas for twelve years. Where where did you live? Tell me a little bit about your your background.
1: So um, I'm American. We did. I did grow up in America, and I lived here for the first thirty years of my life. And we, my husband, was working for an international company that um, gave him a few choices of where he could be transferred. And a few of them, we kind of discounted right away because it involved our kids learning a lot of new languages mm. <laughs> and uh, some of the European choices and we ended up um ended up taking a transfer to Tel Aviv and was I was a little bit nervous about it to be perfectly honest um, although I do had some family living in Israel distant cousins um it was one of those things honestly you know as a neurotypical that if I had thought about it for a long time it would have taken me 10 years to make that move but we had a opportunity that we had about two weeks my husband had about two weeks to make the decision and um so I had to make like a kind of I wouldn't say totally impulsive because I was it was thought out but short-term thought out you know Mm. and um two weeks later he was on a plane I had a little bit more time to pack up and get the kids together and kind of close things off here but we ended up Um, It was a two-year commitment that ended up being uh, 12 and a half years. So, um, yeah. And then things kind of brought us back here, some family needs. um, And and we were back in in Denver and now we're in New York where we both started out originally.
0: That's wild. That's wild. So, but yeah. And you mentioned, you know, the learning languages. Are the kids at least proficient in Hebrew now, at least? They are. uh... My
1: kids are. My kids are definitely bilingual. Um, In fact, my youngest daughter is living there. She went back after high school and she's in nursing school there. And yeah, she, she said like all that moving around is worth it because she, it's very funny. So in her program, the program itself is in Hebrew, but as, I don't know if you know this, but all medical textbooks are pretty much in English. Most research is in English. So, The Israeli students have to take very high-level English classes in the program. She placed out of that from her like English essay, you know, her verbal SAT. Right. Um, and the fact that she graduated from high school in America, but they looked at her SAT score, but also as a foreign student, she would have had Hebrew requirements, but because her Hebrew was good enough that she placed that out. So she got, basically had one day, she didn't have classes when everyone else did. So oh, she nice. felt like All that, all that hard work was worth it. Cause it, it's not easy moving. It's not easy coming. came back to America when my kids were teenagers. So even though they, you know, their roots were here. They'd spent a majority of their childhood there. So that was also hard. But now they, I think, are grateful, you know, for that opportunity. And knowing so many people in so many different places is also, you know, one of those um, benefits of moving. I think you learn to adjust and adapt to different environments more easily when you've been tested that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I worked... I worked for a uh, restaurant slash bar slash folk club uh, in Toronto a million years ago, <laughs> and my boss, uh, every Sunday, would have a uh, – she called it Bella Did You Eat, and it was a Jewish brunch um, with like uh, non-kosher, but it was still like all the, all the fixin. So, you know, latkes uh-huh. and blintes and all the things that are that just making funny. me hungry thinking about, um, <laughs> but she also had live bands play too. So they were always like. You know, Hebrew singing in Hebrew or Yiddish performers and, and all that stuff. So yeah, and 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 she taught me like all the different versions of oy, uh, of uh, of oy, like oy ve, Oye kavol. <laughs> like so, um, yeah. I, in fact, I just posted something about this, I think, on Facebook a while, not that long ago, saying like, you know. I hope it's okay. I hope it's okay with all my Jewish friends that I totally use "oy" and "oy kavolt" and all the other ones uh, because it's like the best saying ever. Summarizes everything.
1: <laughs> you know what's really cool? It's making me think about. You know how they say like um, the the um, Alaskan Native language has however many words for snow. You know, th- different types right, of right. snow. So I think that Yiddish as a language has a lot of like. Negative words, you know, like the, all the words for oi, you know, and 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 I think uh-huh. because Yiddish culture develops, I guess, in Eastern Europe when there was a lot of persecution. I'm just guessing when mm-hmm. there's a lot of persecutions, there was a lot of life was hard. But the interesting thing about Hebrew, Hebrew has like seven or eight words for happiness, like different types of joy and happiness. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a much more um, positive language, if if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, sure, that makes yes, sense. I
1: thought that was I thought that was very very cool.
0: And positivity is something that, you know, is near and dear to your heart. How do you work with your clients to, you know, especially on, on down days, perhaps, you know, work on their positivity on their, their spirit and their mood.
1: So that's a good question. I, you know, I I think when someone's feeling really down, you do have to have that empathy and tune into where they are and meet them where they're at. At the same time, you know i i do feel and i and i know from my own life that even in the most difficult situations or most difficult days there's there's always something to be grateful for and you can always find that like kernel you know of of positivity or blessing in you know whether it's just a rough day or you know something more um monumental like a difficult really difficult challenge that people are going through so i think it's a combination you know of of that really you know feeling for them you know where they're at and and validating their whether it's fear or pain or whatever you know emotion they're feeling but but helping them to tune into um what's good you know, or what's potential there is for growth in a situation. I mean, it really depends on the situation. You know, if someone's dealing with a major loss, you can't talk to them about growth. You know, if, if after the fact, you know, they talk about post-traumatic growth, you know, I think you have more perspective to to see how you have grown or how you could have grown, you know, from a situation. But it really, it's, you know, I guess it's relative to how how large <laughs> the situation is when you can tune into that growth piece.
0: I like the idea, you know, getting back to the, or not getting back, but, but the, what's the saying, lemon, lemons in a lemonade, right? Like changing, hundred percent, changing your perspective in, in 2020, uh, you know, the, the, the world seemed to be imploding. And in addition to the stresses that we were all experiencing, uh, you know, our, uh, a tornado came through Nashville where I live and destroyed my kid's school. Wow. Uh, and then three months later, another storm came and left us with 10 holes in our roof and seven trees down. And we basically had to leave our house for three months. While, uh, And then in addition to all of my, my business, all the work, I had to also, you know, t- dealing with shoddy contractors and insurance claims virtually because of covid uh, everything was it was just incredibly stressful and um, at that time I dabbled with meditation over the years but it was at that time that I actually took it much more seriously and, and started a daily practice and uh, have found uh you know med- mindfulness as a result of meditation has really helped me to sort of pause and slow down and and change my perspective and yeah I still get, down and stressed and annoyed with whatever but it helps me uh, it helps me kind of shift my attention and change my perspective on whatever i'm going through and and try to think about a positive approach to to that do do you do you teach or, or practice meditation mindfulness have you do you have any experience? Yeah, with that? and, and
1: I, I do shy away from the word meditation for people with ADHD because I think that has that that connotation of you know sitting still and just breathing. And I think for most people that haven't had exposure to it with ADHD, especially if you're hyperactive, that's like uh, anathema to them. You know, it's just hard to even conceive. Yeah. But I like better the mind the word mindfulness because i i what i do stress for people is that mindfulness can be done while you're active it can be done when you're taking a walk it can be done when you're in the shower washing the dishes just tuning in at the moment to what you're feeling and your senses what's going through your head and just being present mm-hmm. that pa- that you know that pause Um, it's, it's similar to the meditation and you can be tuned into your breath, but I think that it works better for at least to get started, you know, to start, even if it's a minute, I I've heard the word before. And I think it's, it's an easier way to get people started that mini mindfulness or micro mindfulness, where you just take 30 seconds or a minute and just, you know, be in the moment, like how you feel, whether you're sitting, I'm actually sitting right now. So, you know, how I'm feeling sitting in this seat, What background noise, I might be hearing, you know, what I'm seeing in my environment, just tuning into your senses and any thoughts that go through your head, which probably many go through your head when you have ADHD, but just letting them be, you know, not holding on to them, just letting them, you know, float. And uh, I, I think that works, at least as an introduction, better for most people with ADHD than the idea of, meditation i know i know some people they need to that are serious meditators but i don't think they start it right away you know with the 20 minutes half hour or longer you know serious meditations and and it's transformative for the people that are serious about it and make it a regular practice and one thing i think is really cool and you probably heard this research that meditation, people that are long-term uh, meditators that meditate regularly, that actually makes changes in the prefrontal cortex. You know, so whether people decide to take meditation, medication, med- medication, not meditation, yeah. <laughs> um, or not, you know, that's short acting you know, you take your Ritalin, your Adderall, your Vivans. it might make a big difference for you short term, but it's not as far as we know, anyway, you know, making any changes in your brain, whereas meditation and also exercise, but that's, an, that's another topic um, are making changes in your brain, you know, for the good and, and helping you um, helping those executive functions, you know, they're really developing that, that prefrontal cortex, which is, which is an amazing benefit.
0: Yeah. And I can, I can completely understand and see where the word meditation might scare people off uh, especially yeah with with ADHD because of that 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 uh, that need for for focus uh, the one the app that I use actually has um, it's pretty interesting they have uh, walking some walking meditations as mm-hmm. well so obviously there's meditations that you can do with your eyes open as well and uh, obviously you're not walking with your eyes closed but it's <laughs> uh, it's interesting one of the biggest revelations I've had, in my own like meditation practice uh, and and something I talk to friends about when I I don't like, I'm not preaching. Everybody should meditate. um, But I'll talk to friends about it when they ask me. And, and I have friends who say, you know, I, I can't do it because I can't like just focus on my breath. And I I think of stuff and the idea Mm -hmm. what I've learned in this is that yes, that's a hundred percent accurate. Everybody does. Um, The thing is like you, the the the, the per the point here is you you let that thought play out in your head like a mm-hmm. short film, and what happens when you start doing this is you realize like like let's say let's say I think uh, I've gotta I've gotta walk my dog tomorrow, and I start thinking about uh, I've kind of walked the dog, but then I then I envision myself walking the dog tomorrow, and and so there's me going outside not every step but like me going outside walking peggy and then okay. we come ho- and 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 then we come home and then i let her off her leash and then i get back to work and the thought that i'm explaining is like seconds long it plays out i can get right back to the breath so it's like just focus on these thoughts as like little movies in a way and let them just play out and and i that was a big revelation for me i was like oh Oh, <laughs> instead of getting frustrated every time I think of like, oh, I got to walk Peggy or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay. And it's yeah. normal. And, yeah. and the more you do that, the more, you know, you're um, doing work and you think about walking your dog and you can get back to your work. You know, you just play out right. that thought, but you can use that same tool because your brain is getting used to pausing and, and coming back. It's okay to get off track and everyone does, but, you know, using that to come back to whatever it was you're originally doing.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. I remember I, I saw an interview with uh, Dr. Gupta who, you know, wrote a great book about brain health. And, and uh, I believe he's like the CNN, like chief medical correspondent or, or something like that, but most people would know him. Um, and he, he shared a story and I can't remember the, the full specifics of it, but the short version was that he got to meet the Dalai Lama and they sat in a meditation uh, session together mm-hmm. and the, uh, Gupta had his eyes closed. And when he, he suddenly opened them like kind of midway through because he heard the Dal- Dalai Lama chuckling, like kind of laughing to himself <laughs> and he's like, what the heck? So he opened his eyes. He's like, what's, what's up? And, and the Dalai Lama said something to the effect. I'm totally paraphrasing here, but yeah, the Dalai Lama said, ah, sorry, I'm just having trouble focusing. <laughs> it was like, even the Dalai Lama can't always uh, do it. So um, yeah, I, thought, I, I think that's that was, a good
1: point. That's a, yeah. it's a really good point. Even for these seasoned, you know, expert, if we'll call that, if we could call him an expert meditator, if I don't know who else we could call that. Mm. Um, yeah, they they have thoughts that get them off track. All the more so if you have an ADHD nervous system, you know, just to have that self compassion, realize it's totally normal. Just get back to that breath, or, you know, what that that studying or whatever it is you were planning to do.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. One of the things that I've been finding interesting uh, in my, you know, diagnosis here with with ADHD and realizing, oh, oh yeah, okay, because um, I'm still like months and not even years yet of of realizing this, is. I know it's it's common uh to feel as far as like relationships go you can feel a sense of reject rejection and and that seems to be kind of somewhat common and or you know partly common in in adhd folks um uh but what i've so for example like if i try to you know befriend somebody i like and for whatever reason they're not calling me back or we get together we always have a good time but they they don't call me back um so ev- I eventually just give up. I'm like, okay, just forget them. I've tried enough. They're not willing to give back into the relationship, so you know, whatever. Um but I bring that up because now I'm approaching things more empathetically and and the truth is like myself, I'm starting to detect uh uh ADHD in a lot of people that I know <laughs> who probably are undiagnosed, who probably don't even know. And so right. Now I'm thinking, but, but then (laughs) this is the way my brain works now. So let's say I want to meet some, uh, somebody to, I like them. I want to become friends, but they're not calling me back. And now with empathy, I'm thinking, okay, maybe they have ADHD or they've got things going on and they haven't called me back or maybe they're not, or if they have adhd maybe they're they're fearing rejection and they're not calling me back because they they fear being rejected from me. So at what point <laughs> – this sounds crazy, right? But at which point do I give up and right. not reach back out? Right. Any th- any thoughts in that complicated scenario that I just explained terribly? <laughs>
1: No, I I get what you're saying. And I totally get what you're saying about once you understand ADHD better, you can not really diagnose, but you can detect, Mm. you know, ADHD traits in, in, in a lot of people. Yes, um, and having that that empathy, even people in you know even though I don't have ADHD, I've detected also on my side of the family you know people with ADhd so it's it's kind of funny, um, but looking at them through that ADhD lens is what you're saying is that maybe it's not just they're not interested in you, maybe they really are are afraid, you know because they've had relationships that haven't worked out and have that rejection sensitivity. I don't know. I mean, there's an easy answer to know at what point you give up. I'm not sure. But I, I think, you know, if you think that that's your gut is telling you that this person also has ADHD, there may be also this fear of, you know, new relationships and rejection, uh, you know, reach out a couple of times. But if you feel you, you really just to trust your gut, like, when you've overdone it, and it's really just that, maybe they're, you know, maybe it's not just the, that they're not interested in you, maybe they're just at a busy point in their life, and they can't, um, they can't start a new relationship right now. You know, it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have to be they're overwhelmed with, it doesn't have to be that they're rejecting you or that they have ADHD or fearing rejection. It could be something else entirely. You know, they're overwhelmed with something else in their life. So it doesn't have to be that you take it back and are also, you know, <laughs> experience <laughs> that rejection because they're, you know, they're not responding to your um your overtures of, you know, let's go out again. um. I think there's still a place to judge them, not just judge them favorably, not just through that ADHD lens of maybe they're also fearing the rejection, but there could be other things going on for them. Cause if you go out and you have a good time, I think you really like you know well enough when it's mutual, you know, mm-hmm. if you feel like it's genuinely um we had a nice time together, you know, and you felt like you were really like, connected, but for whatever reason, they're not interested after that, or you try a couple of times and nothing happens. It could be there's other stuff.
0: Yeah. I could see ADHD being especially challenging for a, a single adult, you know, trying to, to meet people, uh, meet people like dating and things. I, I imagine that, that, cause I'm just talking about friends. Uh, you know, I'm thankfully happy, happily right. married. Um, and God bless my, my wife for putting up with me <laughs> half the time. <laughs> um, oh, this is, yeah, this is really, this is really interesting. So we, we, we talked to, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, we were talking a little bit about uh, motivation. Um, are there ways that you've seen that help uh, help to motivate uh, someone to do something, um, you know, help to increase the motivation?
1: So, you know, we talked about a little bit before about tapping into that dopamine, you mm-hmm. know, so with the task itself, you know, um, maybe there's some kind of angle to create interest for you to, to ignite the dopamine, you know, maybe on a, in a simple way, you know, people that will watch their favorite show while they're on a treadmill, you know, or um you know someone that um, will I don't know listen to their favorite podcast while they're doing something boring like doing the dishes. Um, or, you know, we know, we know motivation, you know, for a neurotypical, we can do things, I'm saying we as a neurotypical um, can do things that are important, even if they're not so interesting, right? And something that's important for for you, but not interesting, like maybe your taxes could be hard to get started. But how can you, you know, um, make that thing? So what let me backtrack um what motivates the adhd brain it's not importance, right we know it's interest passion that's the easy one that's the one that you know most people with adhd know about that's how they'll get into the flow with things that they love but there's also competition so you know, that's like the the beauty of the, the you know those 30 day challenges you know it's something that you're not so interested in but there's like a challenge element whether it's a challenge to yourself you know and being your best um in a certain area or a challenge with other people where you're competing that can create that dopamine to get you motivated. Um, there's also novelty. You know, you can take something old and I like this. It's a, it's kind of a Dr. Seussian term. Um, one of my ADHD instructors call it re um, It's, you know, exactly what it sounds like. Something that's lost its sparkle. How can you make that thing sparkly again to kind of create that motivation again and fire that dopamine? It's all about dopamine. So, you know, figuring out how you can get that dopamine um, is the key. It takes, you know, with a lot of people that are not with ADHD, are not in short supply of creativity. Sometimes it takes creativity to figure out how you can take this thing that is um, either overwhelming or not interesting, or you know, whatever it is that's keeping you away from it, and figure out how to um, make it interesting. You know, make it more interesting. There's the whole idea of gamifying. I'm sure you've heard yeah. that that term. You know, how can you make this thing into a game? How can you make it
0: fun? Yeah, and I like you know getting back to what we were talking about before. Whether it's through technology or or analog on on pen and paper, you know, you can you can make things fun by you know writing down the goals and, and scratching them out, as as we said. But then there's a lot of you know productivity apps and things like that that will give you. Um, there's an app I use called Streaks, which is great. Mm-hmm. Which you can add different streaks, like walk the dog, and then you set it to say I'm going to walk the dog every day. But when you do it, you can click it, and then it it, it shows you how many days you were successful, and have a, a you know in getting a streak. And then ultimately, what you're trying to do in that case is is form habits and and right. you know right. healthy healthy good habits. Um,
1: yeah, and we were talking about before also that um, the visual, how important that that visual piece is for ADHD, and with something you know like like walking the dog or exercise or eating healthy. If you see that streak, like you're talking about, you could see it in your app or you see it on a calendar checked off all the days you did that thing. That also is is motivating. You know, like even if you're off for one day. Um, getting back on because you see that streak that that creates dopamine and another thing is um, you know tapping into how is this thing meaningful for you or what's the value in it for you it, you know knowing um, even if someone doesn't like doing taxes and it's the most boring thing maybe they have a value of of being fiscally responsible you know or um, someone that hates doing laundry but they 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 it's important to them to um provide for their family, like a a mom or even a a dad or whoever, you know, to, to feel like they're doing their, you know, they're, they're taking care of their household, you know, so tapping into whatever it is, and for bigger things, even more important, you know, someone that's, excuse me, um, at work, and is not everything they do at work is something that they're going to love. But but what's the value there? You know, what's the meaning behind Um, A particular project, you know, in in the bigger scheme of things in their maybe they want to be an expert in their field or, you know, whatever, whatever it is to kind of figure out yourself what's your why. And that also can be a motivating factor, especially for like longer term things. You know, you might have that motivation most of the time, but when, like, I have a a student I'm working with now is doing his um, dissertation So it's been like a very long haul, like it's been seven years that he did research and now he actually has to put it all together. And a dissertation is not something you can do the night before. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's not like even if you got by with doing your papers the night before for the rest of your academic life, it's not going to work at that point. So really tapping into what's, where's the meaning for him? Like where, how does this fit into his goals, his bigger long-term goals? And that's kind of really important to just keep that bigger why in mind.
0: Do you have tips uh, around, you know, I, I, straight away, I think of like Simon Sinek and people like that who who talk a lot about finding your why. Do you, uh, do you have exercises or techniques to help your clients find their why?
1: So, yeah, there are def- different um, tools and exercises. Um, you know, I tapping into what people's strengths are, what experiences um in their lives have given them like sense of satisfaction, fulfillment. Um, people, I mean, when you have ADHD, you can kind of forget these, your, your positive experiences and focus on the, the the negative. You remember your failures, but you forget your success. It doesn't even have to be even successes, anything you found fulfilling, meaningful, satisfying. Um, and it can go back to even kids, you know, when they were in school, like experiences they had that they totally forgot about you know um so talking about experiences you know going back into different points in life and um it's, it's not like a, a quick exercise, but, you know, first it's what they come up with off the top of their head. You know, those are kind of magical moments that they remember. Those are the first ones. But when you spend a little bit more time on it, not necessarily in the session, but they think about different times in their life, look back at old pictures, you know, think about different areas of their life, personal, academic, you know, work. Um, then people are able to come up with a kind of a, a list of those experiences that they've found most rewarding. And you can kind of start to see patterns and you kind of dive into that. And you eventually people are able to figure out like what things in life, it's usually not one definite thing, but what areas, what, what topics, what causes for them are most meaningful.
0: Yeah, it's a great, great point uh, all around and I, I do personally something I've I've posted about online before about um that anytime I'm in a bad mood I scroll through my Instagram feed because it's all my personal Instagram is all just it's not all but a lot of it is is successes I've had certainly speaking engagements and helping my clients but also you know family stuff like you know travels that we've had and and lots of great memories there. Um, you know, I, I, because I'm an early adopter in a lot of social media stuff, I, I, you know, I started Instagram in 2010. So when it launched, so I have like a pretty long history, thousands of photos on Instagram. So I could just scroll through it. Um, you know, a lot of people use Instagram just for you know, just kind of marketing materials, really like quotables and things like that. But for me personally, just going back and looking through some of the photos, uh, you know, and, in Facebook, you know, have the, the memories feature that, you know, it creates as right. well. So I find, uh, I find those helpful. Are you familiar with, uh, there's a Japanese, uh, word Ikigai.
1: I'm familiar with, that. I don't know how to say it, but I'm familiar yeah. with it.
0: <laughs> it's really neat. I mean, it's, it's a cool, uh, Kind of model um where if you if you imagine like four circles it's hard to describe i'll include a link to it here um so people can see it uh right in the in the podcast player i'll include a link below um but you can see like your icky guys basically like what you're y- what you're aiming for and it mixes like what you love your passions your mission but then also incorporates uh, your profession and vocation and what you do and what people pay you for, um, and what you're good at, but also what the world needs, and and so it taps into like your mission as well. And it kind of by by going through the the exercise around icky guy, uh, it helps you kind of yeah n- narrow down your own passions and and helps you kind of focus on and on stuff. So I find I found that uh, that exercise to be pretty rewarding.
1: Yeah, I, I think for, you know, most people, when they first come to coaching, they're coming in crisis. They're coming because they're on probation at work or they're, you know, it's the end of the semester and they haven't done any work and, and exams and all those projects are due in two weeks and they don't know how they're going to get it done. They're in some kind of crisis. I would say that's like 90% of people that come to ADHD coaching, but it's when you can, after you do that crisis management and, you know, they are able to really, do this kind of work that's when the real you know the real empowerment the real you know joy you know comes because they're people are used to working with that deficit mentality where I just need to fix you know my weaknesses they're not used to like that learn leaning into their strengths their purpose their passion and creating a life around that and that's where you know the best life comes
0: mm, that's really interesting so I uh, uh- Almost like a, you're almost like a firefighter in a way, I guess. Like so, in the uh, sense, you know, that your your <laughs> people are coming to you for for rescue initially.
1: Yeah, I think that's most really is the majority of people, and that's kind of the way most people live life. You know, just trying to put out fires, whether it's mm. of their their health or their their job. But but really, like, what are we here for? We don't just want to put out fires. We want to live a happy life. We want to live a fulfilling life you know so we can get past not just the fires but having the tools to prevent the fires in the future and then you know have that you have to send them, you, you have to start if you're a, a minus you I don't mean a minus as a person like you're below ground zero you have to hit ground zero first you know to put out that fire and i think that's where positive psychology in general came in i don't know how much you're familiar with positive psychology but the founder of positive psychology martin seligman he was dissatisfied with like psychology's focus on just pathology and mental health. He said, why can't psychology be once people are healthy, emotionally, creating a, a great life, creating a flourishing life, creating a life that people thrive and are happy using you know, the, the best that they have in them to create, you know, their their best version of themselves. And I, I think that's similarly with ADHD coaching, for the most part, people come in, you know, they're struggling with all these ADHD traits, and they and they want, they want to learn executive function skills, but that's just such a small part of it. You know, in the best coaching, that's just a small part of it is, you know, once you get past that or not even past that along the way is creating a good life, creating a life, you're happy and joyful and your best self.
0: I almost picture, uh, yeah, as we are Talking about that and using that fire analogy, I'm almost <laughs> picturing like Smokey the Bear, an American icon. You know that that <laughs> bear pointing at you that only you can prevent. You know mental health fires or, or or life fires. You know only you can prevent fires. But I also think about it. Um, now I, I'm I'm born and raised Canadian and and live in the U.S. But I've been here long enough to notice how. It's almost, it seems an American way of, especially as it pertains to health, uh, to only treat your, you know, treat your health seriously when, when there is a fire to put out rather than being preventative. Um, have you found that too, in your own sort of international travels and.
1: Yeah, I think unfortunately, um, that's the way most practitioners are in Israel as well. I and mean, I, I think maybe because it's a uh, um, socialized medicine, there's very little of that holistic view. Um, I mean, I'm sure you can find individuals, individual practitioners that take a more holistic approach, but I, I was thinking also, you know, going back to ADHD and the holistic approaches, you know, not just learning exec- to improve your executive function. It it, it helps, That helps. It's the foundation of good ADHD management to eat well, to exercise, to sleep well, to do those things you enjoy, you know, that's like that, the really critical piece that is so often lacking, it's hard, it's 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 hard for a lot of people with ADHD, but when you understand how, um, how those like lifestyle pieces really impact how your ADHD shows up, it's a game changer, you know, if you're willing to work on those things, if they're, you know. I'm sure you know in your own life when you're when you're sleeping well, eating well, and doing some kind of exercise, your ADHD will show up a certain way. And if you're sleep deprived, haven't exercised, and are eating garbage, your ADHD will show up very differently. You know, so yeah. um that said holistic approach is I think so critical in general.
0: And it's good advice for anyone listening, neurotypical, neurodiverse. It really doesn't matter. Like focus, right. focus on your health when I moved to the U S uh, 16 years ago, I was talking to one of my best friends here. And I, I was looking for a, a doctor, um, you know, like a general practitioner. And I asked him, you know, who's your GP? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, like your, your doctor, like who's your doctor? And he's like, Oh, the, the kid's pediatrician is, and I'm like, no, no, no yours. Like, who do you go see every year for your annual? And he's like, Oh, I just I I don't have one. I just go to the doctor when I'm sick, uh-huh. and and I'm I'm like, but you take your car in to get tuned up and oil changes, <laughs> yeah. And he's yeah. like, well, yeah. I'm like, well, you need tune ups and oil changes, so yeah. It's yeah, I love
1: that really analogy.
0: Important. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but this this is this has been such a a, a great conversation, and and I I really do appreciate. All of your insights here. Is there something, anything that I didn't bring up, or or a topic we didn't talk about that that you thought, you know, you think we should include?
1: Hmm, it's a good question. So, what's coming up in my head is is you know the idea of ADHD superpowers, and you've probably spoken about that with other people you've interviewed. But I, I just want to say, you know, just to keep it short, when I first heard that term, I thought it was a joke. To be perfectly honest, I like okay. You know, like I, I I just, I didn't really like get it. Like I understand. And I'm a very positive person, but I would say now, you know, really understanding ADHD much better and having a family filled with people with ADHD and working with many, many clients with ADHD that I really do think that when ADHD is treated well, meaning you understand how your brain works and you understand holistically getting back to that term, you know, those lifestyle pieces that are important to be your best. Um, and you've learned some strategies, you know, to be, to manage your time, to be productive and you know, all those things that can be challenging. Really, it is a superpower. And I'm saying this as someone that, you know, doesn't have ADHD. And honestly, like there are so many times, Dave, that I honestly feel like I'm like, I want to be part of the club, you know, like not that we can do mm. a do over here, but I, I feel like I'm missing out. You know, for the people that really have figured out their ADHD and really worked on it and worked on themselves, honestly, not just their ADHD, it really is a superpower. And I, I, you know, tell you, on people that come in crisis, people come not just in crisis; they come there, they feel mentally, emotionally beaten, you know, um, because they've had so many failures and or perceived failures. And I, I think as a coach. My message is: There's so much hope. There's so much good, and there's so much, you know, that people with ADHD, the neurodiversion, have to offer. You know, have to offer the world, have to offer themselves, if they you know, just um, really tune in and um, lean into those strengths and um, figure out how to manage those challenges. But but leaning into those strengths, and when those when those challenges are managed, those superpowers really shine.
0: I developed a. I do a lot of presentations and public speaking for my for you know my business, my day job, and I developed a brand new uh, keynote presentation called "More Than a Tree," and Mm -hmm. it's reaching your roots, standing tall, and branching out. And it really has three sections of it: of of knowing yourself, respecting yourself, and then finding the others, finding your community. But the know yourself part, I actually do focus on. Uh, your superpowers. And I have some strategies uh, that I include in that, in that presentation about, you know, how you can find and discover your superpowers uh, before we wrap up very quickly. I'm curious, you know, what what's an exercise or something you do with your clients to help them uh, discover theirs? So
1: I think that um, there are, there are those, tools, like I love the bias strengths. I don't know if you're familiar with the values in action. I love that as a tool because I think, you know, there's, there's two kinds of strengths. Like there's the character strengths, you know, things like honesty or zest or creativity or fairness. And there's also, um, those performance strengths, like things you do well. Um, so that I think I, I haven't, I don't use those, um, those strength finder exercises, those kind of assessments, but it goes back to you know what what have you been? I, it's a hard question because a lot of people ADHD. You ask them what are their strengths, they they just are silent, you know. Unfortunately, um, so you have to say, well, what would your boss say you do well? What would your mother say you do well? What would your friends say you're good at? Um, and getting back to those experiences that we talked about earlier that that list of those experiences that were satisfying enjoyable empowering fulfilling those experiences trying to see patterns in where they felt like they were in the flow where they felt most engaged and most real like things that come naturally for them because sometimes it's it's not so easy um with people with ADHD for them to they can't come out and say what they're Some people know themselves better and have been more on a a journey of self-growth before they come to coaching, but many haven't. So it's kind of like going back into those experiences and figuring out from, from then, from, from those, you know, where, um, where they've really, you know, um, shined, shown is what's the word shine shown. I
0: I struggle with that one too, actually.
1: (laughs) Anyway. yeah, Yeah. So, seeing it from another person's standpoint, if they can't say it themselves, that's one way. And um, even those experiences they had that other people consider accomplishments, I've also find that they won't even necessarily consider an accomplishment because it because if it comes naturally, then they won't even acknowledge it as, as, a, as a strength. Oh, doesn't everyone, can everyone just paint like that or, you know, play music like that or whatever it is, write like that. So it's sometimes like taking that third person perspective. <laughs> yeah. You know that the big bird's eye view helps. But I'd be curious what the exercise you use is. I'm always looking for new tools that could be helpful for clients.
0: Yeah, I'll share that with you and I was also going to uh mention one thing I do is um when I when I meet uh, when I get hired to deliver a presentation or a workshop for a company, let's say, um or a conference, I always Connect with the client ahead of time on twi- on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and then I ha- after the engagement, um, you know, th- they've they've received survey results from their uh, audience or their team members, and so on. After I've done the engagement, they I ask them based on the feedback they received, uh, would they mind leaving me a recommendation on my LinkedIn profile? And because I do this. In part because it provides social proof. It's not just like, you know, Jim S says Dave Delaney's lovely. Uh, you know, <laughs> but it's actually like a real person. Um, and in doing this, I've I've accrued 130 plus now uh LinkedIn recommendations. And I find that is an exercise uh that obviously I can I can I can use it in, in marketing material to help you know grow my business and help you know find future engagements. But at the same time, when I go through those and review those, that really does help me realize like, no, I am great at what I do. People love it. Um, and I get wonderful feedback from my clients. So, um, so, so doing something like that, where you're, you're connecting with your clients ahead of time and then asking them for a recommendation after the engagement I find has been really helpful
1: yeah yeah. It reminds me of that exercise that a brilliant teacher did, and you've probably heard about this, and then a lot of other teachers have duplicated since then, where they gave um all this are you familiar with this? all the students in the class had mm-hmm. to write something positive about everyone else in the class. so so then at the end, each person gets each student gets a list of what everyone else has said about them.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, And uh, and
1: I've heard people that have kept that their entire lives because sometimes even for people that know their strengths, hearing from other people, one, is, is very valid, but also sometimes there are things you're not even aware of that if someone notices in you, then you're like, oh, wow, you know, and it makes you smile and it makes you more self confident. And once we know our strengths, you know, because we don't know them, it's hard to be consciously using them, but when we are aware of our strengths, then we can be more deliberate in using them.
0: Yeah, I love that because my my uh it reminds me of my my kid's school, my daughter's uh choir director um ba- uh, uh performance director uh does that with the kids so that she comes home at the end of the year with a, like a little box and it's filled with notes from all her uh classmates with, you know, all positive you know things they like about her and things she's good at and stuff and and of course, yeah, she does it for all the others. So, uh yeah, yeah, I love, I love that. That's a great, great exercise, great idea. Yeah,
1: and from the from the other perspective, also being able to see the good in other people, because even people we don't like, for whatever <laughs> reason, there always there's always be some kind of good we can see, and even the people that are difficult. So I, I think it's a good exercise both ways, and be able to see the the best in in everyone, um, as well as some being becoming more aware of what's what's best in you.
0: Yeah, I do a leadership presentation, uh, called radical retention. And, and I, be, uh, one of the, the exercises I share in that presentation is, um, an example of a chairman of a bank who would write a thank you card for one of his employees every Monday morning. Nice. And part of that whole, the whole intention there is, and he was asked like, well, how do you remember, you know, someone, Uh, every monday and he says if i don't if i can't think of somebody i'm not paying enough attention and so he writes a thank you note and he sends he mails it to their house and it doesn't include like a starbucks gift card or any of that it's just Mm -hmm. a handwritten note in a card from uh from the chairman of the the bank just saying why you know he appreciates you and and recognition goes so far um you know, not just obviously for for ADHD folks, but for for anyone. 100%. Yeah.
1: yeah. I remember hearing from a teacher that, you know, as teachers get all those presents at the end of the school year. And if you've been mm. teaching a long time, there's only so many, you know, flower arrangements or candy bowls or however, you know, whatever people <laughs> give their teachers at the end of the school year. But just but the teacher said the thing that's been most um, powerful for her, the most impactful thing she really enjoys are those heartfelt notes. They might come with a gift as well, but the, the, the those notes from the parents that really came from the heart how that teacher impacted the child are what's you know most meaningful to the teacher
0: yeah and my my wife is a teacher and so i could definitely attest to that <laughs> yeah yeah aviva this has
1: been so much
0: fun thank you for for joining us today how can people get a hold of you and learn more about what you do
1: yeah so my website my coaching business is ascend with aviva and my site is ascendwithaviva.com Um, My email is coach at ascendwithaviva.com. That's probably the best way to reach me. And uh, it's been a pleasure too, Dave. It's been a pleasure hearing about what you do and and getting to know you better during this, you know, our conversation that we had.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to Wise Squirrels. It has been amazing to share this with you. Best way to show your support for the show. Leave us a review, follow the show, and share it with the people in your life. We drop new episodes every two weeks, so stay tuned for that. Plus, drop by WiseSquirrels.com or click the link in the podcast description and you'll find a lot of different resources like articles, an assessment, a newsletter, lots of good stuff over at WiseSquirrels.com. So drop by, let me know what you think, and we'll see you next time. Take care.